it is good to be back. <laughs> I, uh, I sure did miss you guys. Uh, missing two Sundays in a row is not something that uh, I do very often, uh, but I appreciate you letting me uh, and sending me to Israel for a couple of weeks. It was great. If you're visiting, I'm Darren. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just got back from uh, Israel about a week ago, although it feels like stepping out of Narnia, so I don't even know what time it is here. Like It might be the same time I left two weeks ago, but well, what day is it right now? Um, but it was, a, it was really a great trip, and, and Phyllis, uh, she would be mad for me pointing this out, but Phyllis was a big part of why I got to go. Thank you uh, for sending me to uh, the place that you love so much that you moved there in the 80s. So um, it was great. And my wife, by the way, sends her greetings. She is in uh, Nevada this morning with her mother, uh, making preparations to move her mama back here. And we've appreciated your prayers, and, uh, and we would appreciate if you'd continue them. And for those of you that fed my family this week, I am super grateful for that. Um, turns out my kids do remember to bathe, um, the older ones. Ethan, uh, Ask him what was it Friday morning when the last shower he had was. And turns out, if you don't remind him, he doesn't do that. So um, <laughs> just a time for the hot water heater to go out. I swear I'm not making that up. <laughs> it's a cold shower. Anyway, I'm so glad that, uh, that you're here. I, I, I wish I could be articulate enough to explain uh, the trip that I just uh, took. Um, it was great to be a part of a trip that I'm not in charge of, which was uh, really great. Uh, Mike Greenberg, who is warming up one of those back rows back there, um, Mike, uh, and part of Daily Audio Bible, organized it for us and did a great, great job. It was, so that part was great. And for me, it was really about just, okay, if I'm going to go all the way over here, be away from my family on Thanksgiving, which my wife was super encouraging, I think you need to go, I think you need to go, I think you need to go. Then I kind of thought, well, I better, I better hear from Jesus while I'm here. It seems, you know, like something you would do if you go to Israel, you know, hear from Jesus. And uh, boy, it turns out it was true. Like I was just mossy the whole trip. Like just, you know, we started out in the city called Ashdod, which is on the coast and which is, you know, not really a site as much as a, a launching area. And which Phyllis said, why are you guys going to Ashdod? There's nothing in Ashdod. And the, tr and the truth was, is the reason we went to Ashdod was that they were taking us on a pilgrimage to the desert that would start down by the border of Egypt, and it was designed specifically. I'm actually a Southwest loving guy. Like, I love the desert. I love, but boy, after about four days of that, I've had enough desert. But that was how it was designed, right? We go to the desert, and we're going to experience what Israel experienced, and it turns out it kind of sucked. Like, if you're Israel... <laughs> 40 years of that, like four days, was plenty. But 40, uh, 40 years, I've heard it said, and I, I guess it's true, it took 40 days to get Israel out of Egypt and 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And so we journeyed up to Galilee, and, and all along the way, it was like, man, it was like my brain was just mossy, and I was just hearing stuff that I'm actually pretty excited to share with you guys in the coming years, where I feel like that the Lord might be leading us as a, as a fellowship. And, but it's Christmas, so I went, to, I went to Bethlehem pretty expectant, knowing that I was going to have to do a Christmas sermon, right, when I get back. So I feel like, okay, God, here I am. I'm in Bethlehem. Now would be a good time. And here's what I wrote in my journal that day from Bethlehem. Uh, this, 
that afternoon after on the bus ride back. Uh, this part of the journey has been less impacting and a little bit underwhelming because it feels so much like a combination of a Catholic veneration and a tourist trap. Congratulations to the Catholics for extracting a lot of money out of Protestants. And if you've ever been there before, you know that they've built these big, huge Catholic church. And, and so I was being, on, if you can't tell from the tone, I was being a little cynical. Um, we don't know that this was the spot. You know, there's a lot of places when you stand in Capernaum, you go, that's actually where Jesus stood. Like straight up 100%, that's the synagogue, that's Capernaum, Jesus stood there. This one, we're kind of just making stuff up. Like we know it was the town. And so this, and by the way, I have no, I know we have a lot of visitors. I'm really not offended by uh, the Catholics at all because if it wasn't for the Catholic Church guarding these places all these years, we wouldn't have them today. So God can use all kinds of things and he used that church to protect some sites that we can now go and see. And so there's nothing uh, anti about that at all. But I was just, I, what I saw was this, this, uh, this beautiful uh, church, the Church of the Nativity. That's Mike Greenberg who thought he was photobombing and <laughs> it turned out to be a really good picture. Um, the Church of the Nativity and it was uh, inside. Isn't that, is that where they have the rock that you can touch that Jesus might have been born on or am I remembering that all wrong? Um, but it's beautiful and it was great but I thought, oh, I really need a Christmas sermon. <laughs> like I really need... This would be a good time every day. I mean, I'm, I'm lost in the Muslim quarter, and God is speaking to me, but in Bethlehem, I got nothing. It's like, you know, hello, is this thing on? But they told me on this trip that when you come back, that stuff will continue to come alive for you, that stuff will continue to become alive. And as it turns out, that's entirely true. Because as I was standing in the birthplace of Jesus, the city, you know, we're looking over the hills and we're looking at where, where shepherds, you know, which by the way, I don't know if you thought of a shepherd's field as like this long green pasture, mostly because that's what every one of the uh, flannel graph things in church showed. Um, <laughs> that's not at all what it was like. It was mountainous and rocky and full of caves. It was like Kentucky, but with Jews. Like it was caves <laughs> everywhere. But one of the things that our guide said to me, just literally in passing, that was like, a, like, oh, that's something that came back to me later, was that we just sang happy birthday to Jesus, right? And, uh, but one of the things that our guide said was, hey, you know, uh, we know a lot about December 25th, uh, but what we 100% certainly know about December 25th is it was not the day that Jesus was born. So well, that kind of stinks, right? Because <laughs> we're like, we just did this whole thing. I, I promise I'm not going to, hopefully, I'm not going to mess up your holiday cheer. But we know it wasn't the day that he was born on. And, and, and we know this because, for, well, for many reasons, but one is that this whole, in Luke, the account in Luke, it says that they were, the shepherds at night were watching their sheep. And in the wintertime in Israel, shepherds are not outside at night. It's too cold. It's snowy. By the way, the, another thing that I learned while I was there was that uh, because it's like Kentucky, there's caves everywhere. And if you're a shepherd, those little caves make really good pens for your sheep. And our guide told us that a good shepherd 
will stay outside to protect. The sheep go in at night, he sits outside or she sits outside and protects the sheep from any harm. And when the shepherd speaks, how many, if you're new, you may not know this, but there was a a little bit of an ill-fated, short-lived journey where the Tylers owned sheep. They are not delicious, parenthetically. Um, At least not the way we cooked them, right? And plus, once you start naming them, there's a whole thing, but... um, (laughs) But the lady that I bought them from in southern Tennessee was a God-fearing redneck. And she said, as we're leaving, after she got done barking at me because I was wearing flip-flops at the farm, she says, now, sheep are a one-voice animal. And she says, they don't know your voice right now. But once they learn your voice, take about four or five days, you go outside, you even talk on your patio, they'll come running because they know your voice. They don't know your wife's voice. So they, they only need and they will only listen to one voice which made so much sense to like Jesus was saying, you know, they'll know my voice. Uh, the shepherd, by the way, the, well, there's only one gate that goes in. That's the, the shepherd would guard it. He'd build rocks around it. And you, the sheep could only get in and get out through the one gate through Jesus, our shepherd. It was a beautiful picture. But they wouldn't have been at night watching sheep in the winter in Israel. So we can know with some degree of certainty that it wasn't winter. We could know that because, you know, Rome would never have done a decree where everybody's got to go to their hometown in the winter because Israel is a rocky, mountainous, dangerous place. And in the wintertime, traveling would have been greatly dangerous, especially if you are great with child. By the way, this is a free one, and I didn't do this in first service. But do you know that in the Bible that we have a record of pregnancy hormones? As it says in Luke that Mary rode Joseph's um, donkey all the way to Bethlehem. (laughs) It's the jet lag talking, that's true. (laughs) It's like four in the morning in my head. (laughs) There's probably a reason why I didn't tell that in first service, right? (laughs) My wife's not here. Can we not tell Shannon that I did that? In Bethlehem, and there's a reason, by the way, that I'm telling you this stuff, because it really, the Lord just made some stuff come so alive to me in a way that I'd never, ever thought about before. That it wasn't in the winter time. In fact, there's, a, there's clues in the text of when it could be. Because at the same time that Mary was visited by an angel, so was her cousin Elizabeth. Some of you know this story. Elizabeth had been told six months earlier, you're going to conceive and you're going to have this miraculous baby. You guys know him as John the Baptist. It was Jesus' cousin. And it was said in this context that he was serving in the courts of Abijah in Luke chapter 1, verses 4, 5, 6, that first chapter. It says that he was serving in the courts of Abijah. And in that is a clue in the text. Because in Abijah, the priests were divided into 24 segments. It's just like, you know, how we don't always serve every week when you're doing kids ministry, you're scheduled to serve. It's like they had planning center for priests back then. They just scheduled you. And the courts of Abijah, and I could whiteboard this out for you, but I'd bore you way more than I already am. We know from scholarship was the second uh, to the third week of June to the first of July. This is germane to the story because he was, they conceived 
in that time, because he was serving in the temple during that time, which would have put it at the end of June, beginning of July. And when Jesus was promised to Mary, when she was conceived inside by the Holy Spirit, it says in Luke 1 that your cousin is six months pregnant already, which would put John the Baptist born in March, late March probably. And we know that we serve a God who is in the details. I don't know if you know that, but he is. There were seven festivals, feasts, that the Jewish people would honor and would every year. There's seven of them. And the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2 that those feasts are pictures and shadows of who Jesus is. For instance, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified on Friday. We call it Good Friday, but it was the beginning. It was the Passover. It was the night that literally... Less than a, you know, just a few miles away in a temple is a lamb being slaughtered while Jesus being slaughtered right outside the Passover. They were celebrating when God saved them by using the blood of a pure lamb. He was resurrected in three days on the day of the Feast of First Fruits. Jesus was a first fruit among us. 50 days later, the Holy Spirit would come on Pentecost. What was Pentecost? Pentecost was the festival where they celebrated and honored and remembered when the law came down. When Moses came down from the the mountain and he said, I have these 15, then he dropped one, 10 commandments. (laughs) Once again, the millennials are Googling. What what is that? (laughs) Don't even worry about it. It's just... He's mad, he throws it down. 3,000 people died on that day. That was what Pentecost was to remind them of what God had done 1,500 years earlier. But on that day, when grace came down, 50 days later, Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit brought grace. 3,000 people didn't die that day. 3,000 people were born again, came to life that day. God is in the details. So would it surprise us that Elijah was born during the Feast of Passover, because during the Feast of Passover, the Israelis, to this day, would leave a spot open at their table. And the spot was for Elijah. Because the prophet Malachi said, before Messiah comes, Elijah would return. And what did Jesus say? He said, if you can believe and receive this, you've already, it's because the spirit of Elijah is already here. John the Baptist was referred to as the spirit of Elijah who had already come. So, of course, that'd be a great time for him to be born while the people of Israel are celebrating with an empty spot for Elijah. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, the spirit of Elijah was returning to make way for the Messiah. Six months older than Jesus, which would put Jesus born sometime around the end of September. That's what scholars are saying. There's there's an argument we made for March, but a lot of them that, I did a lot of study on this because I wanted to make sure I'm not going to come up here and just, you know, just because I Googled it and it has to be true because it was on Google, right? But there's a large uh, amount of, of wisdom and scholarship that say that Jesus was born the end of September. Now, if it's at the end of September... Is there a festival that happens at the end of September that he could? Turns out there is. It's a feast of tabernacles, feast of tents. When 
Jewish people from all over Israel would come and descend upon Jerusalem. It was like Bonnaroo, but without the drugs and the weird bands. They would bring their tents. And they would remember to a time when God had saved them in the desert by making it rain bread. Water coming out of a rock. Bread, they were camping, they were in tents the whole time. And they would make it rain sandwiches every morning, manna. And meanwhile, five miles away, in a little town called Bethlehem, a town whose name means house of bread, was the bread of life being born in a manger. Not, the manger isn't the, the, the big barn, that's the stable. The manger was the name for the feeding trough, the bread of life born and put in a feeding trough that the lambs could eat from. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Maybe that's why John in chapter one, when he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he said that the word that he uses is tabernacled among us that the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. At that time, in the Feast of Tents, there were four menorahs that would be lit in Jerusalem and they were huge, required probably a ladder and the wicks were actually made out of the old clothes of the priests because they were holy and they couldn't be thrown away and so they would use them to light it. And Josephus tells us that you could see the light from almost 100 miles away. You could see it forever. The light And what did John say that Jesus was life and he would be the light of the world? God is in the details of this story and he's in the details of your story. He has not forgotten or left any stone unturned. So why do we celebrate December 25th? Some of you know this, but just for fun and for edification, let's... Let's remember why it became December 25th. There was a guy named Constantine who was the head of Rome. And Constantine, around 320, had decided that no longer would Christians be persecuted. No longer, and not only would they not be persecuted, this would become the official religion of Rome. And in my opinion, Constantine did in one edict what the entire persecution for 300 years couldn't do to the church. It emasculated it and took it captive. But, Constantine, Christianity and power are very strange bedfellows. Be careful where you put your allegiances. Be that as it may. Constantine says, we're going to make this the official religion. The problem when you make it the official religion is we humans are kind of creatures of habit and we don't like it when someone changes our stuff. Now, every year, the Roman Empire, in their marrying of pagan beliefs, celebrated a day called Saturnalia, which was on December 25th, which was the shortest day of the year, the longest night, the darkness, and on that day, they would party, they would you know, light candles and just roar all night. They would have trees they would light, and you might have actually heard of what they did with these trees in the book of Jeremiah chapter 10. He tells us about verses one, you can just go there later. It talks about, hey, you go into the woods and you cut down these trees, talking about the pagan practices of the Babylonians. These evergreen trees and you put lights on them and you, it was a pagan practice. And what he said was, 
we gotta, we're going to somehow keep the pagans happy and keep the Christians happy. Because I'm sure somewhere in Rome there were those saying, hey, let's keep Saturn in Saturnalia. Just let that sit for a minute. <laughs> so the way that they would keep Saturn in Saturnalia and make the Christians happy was they would bring the Christmas tree in now. The Christ's mass and the Saturnalia were now going to be observed on the same day. Keep the pagans happy, keep the Christians happy. Now, by the way, you might be thinking, well, dude, if this is such a pagan thing, you've got to censor the picture, what, 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 what gives with the Christmas tree? My opinion, you may not agree with this. You're certainly, uh, I wouldn't judge you, and I pray that you wouldn't do that to me, but I just think that we have opportunities like this to redeem what the enemy has meant for harm, and we can tell a story with a tree that stays green all year round about grace and the light of the world and the gold, and the, we can tell a different story with it. That said... That's where December 25th comes from. Now you might be thinking, hey, but Darren, isn't it December 21st? Yes, but the Roman calendar, for them, it was December 25th. That's why we, to this day, celebrate the birth of Christ on December 25th, even though most likely he was born at the end of September. Why did I tell you all of this? That is a good question. It's the darkest day of the year. It's coming up this week. If any of you ever moved from like far back west and you moved to, to, to Nashville, we're about as far east as you can get and still be in central time zone. And I remember the first day I moved here, I woke up in the morning, the sun was like through the window of our apartment. It was like five in the morning. Like, what is going on? And by four in the afternoon, it's like dark. I'm like, what is happening? That's not how it goes in North Dakota or Oklahoma when you go eight hours, ten hours west and you're still in central time zone. You get more daylight in the evening. But on the shortest day, isn't it kind of a depressing time of year if you think about it? Like you get home, it's dark. You leave, it's dark. It's just dark. It's so much dark and not much day. Go backwards with me from September 25th to December 25th and do the math. That's nine months. Maybe God is in the details of even that. That in the darkest night of the year, that when the pagans, it was so dark that we got to party our way out of this. That it was in that darkness, in a place that no man had touched, in a place that was so secret and so dark, it was in that place that Jesus was conceived, that the bread of life became light. Last year, there was a, uh, several news stories. There weren't many because the pro-abortion people did not want this out there. But science, for the first time in history, has captured the moment of conception on film, on video, in a photograph. Light. That the moment the sperm hits the egg, an explosion of energy and sparks and light. the end of December in the darkest of nights, the word had become flesh and dwelt among us. In a light show 
that would reverberate through the centuries, through the millennia. And as I think about that, and I thought about that all week, when John would say that he is life, he's the light of the world. That every one of us, at some point in our lives, and most of us probably still, that there are areas of our lives that are so dark that we won't tell anyone about them. Nobody knows. Nobody can know because of what it might mean. That there's a dark place that I've maybe so used to it that I don't even talk about it, that I just work around it. I grew up in a uh, weirdo house in Nebraska and in the basement. Anybody see Salem's Lot when you were a kid? Oh, scared the crud out of me. It was weird. My mom took the movie channel out of the house because after that, like, I, I couldn't sleep. I, it was basically, you know, you throw a witch in the woods or a vampire in the basement and I'm done. Like, I don't need that. I got enough problems. But this was about vampires in the basement and we had a Salem's Lot room in our basement. Like, it was half earth, half dug with a little window that popped out. I was never the same. I didn't ever want to go down to that room. It was this dark room that I didn't want to touch, that I didn't want anything, to, I didn't want anything to do with that. We didn't talk about it. We didn't speak of it. Spooky, creepy. And the worst possible news you could get was from your dad saying, hey, could you go down to the basement and get some of uh, grandma's canned green beans at night? No. No, I cannot. <laughs> there are vampires in there. Dark places in our heart. Now, by the way, Christians, I'm, I'm, we're saved by grace and redeemed, but there are these places that we've left untouched by Christ. And I just wonder if, I don't know today, what did Mary say? Oh, I, I can't, I haven't, been, I haven't even been touched by a man. There's this thing you want to do, and I, she's looking, well, how can a man fix this problem? What can... You might have thought, if I could just medicate this, if I could just smoke it away, if I, could, if I could find a program or a pill or a plan that a man has put together, then I could fix it. But what God did to Mary was say, no, 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 no. That's okay. I'm going to do something really special. I'm, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. And inside of that dark place, that untouched place, I'm going to create life. I have to believe that Jesus died, resurrected, went through everything he went through, that he did it for more than just for me to be able to get along and to get by. That he wants to invade every part of us. And I don't have a plan for you. I don't have a pill. And I don't, but what I can say is that what was Mary's response was very simple. Be it unto me according to your word. It was just simple faith and she allowed the Holy Spirit to overshadow her and begin to bring light into the dark places. God is in the details. Jesus conceived in December and the, to the shortest of days, I don't know if it was December 25th or 1st or 2nd, but the darkest days of the year, the, the least light, the most dark, God does his best work in the dark. And that perfect love casts out fear and it casts out darkness. And what a great way to go into a new year, to give that gift to you. 
of allowing the Holy Spirit to change you. And I'm talking to Christians. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you might remember that when uh, G- Revelation 3 20, when Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and I know that was a great altar call verse. I got saved lots of times in the Nazarene church growing up because it was the one that they would use. He's knocking, will you let him come in today? And, but he was talking to Christians. Revelation 3.20, you can look at it. He was talking to the church, to believers, to followers of Jesus. He's knocking, would you, would you let him come in? Would you say like Mary, be it unto me according to your word? The consequences, let the chips fall where they may, be it unto me according to your word. And as we embark on this very busy season, it's going to be so easy to lose sight of the miracle of Christmas, the miracle of the incarnation. I understand resurrection is a big miracle, but being born of a virgin, that's a big ticket miracle right there. And that same power that brought the conception of Jesus all those years ago, the same power the Bible tells us that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And he dwells in me. Let's act like it. Let's let that come alive and the light of the world come alive in us in the dark places and let it just bring light to everything. The scary basement, the fun guest room, the whole thing, the whole body of Christ. Would you stand with me and let's pray. As I stood where Jesus stood in some of these places, like I said, there is no question Jesus was there. There are steps that you're walking up. You're like, that was, those were there. That Jesus was on those steps in Capernaum. He taught in this place. But it became alive in me that as amazing and spiritual and special as that is, that Christ in you, what does Paul say? The mystery. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That means that Christ is in you. Wherever you step is a place that Jesus has walked. And I pray this week that that becomes alive in all of us, that the Holy Spirit of God will overshadow us. Like it says, he breathed upon the water. When Jesus breathed into the disciples, that the air of the Holy Spirit becomes real and alive inside of each and every one of you. Father, we're so grateful for you being in every little last detail of the history of you coming to earth. that you met us where we were and where we are. And I know that in our lives personally and individually that you are in those details as well. And for those of us, maybe most, that have had these places, these things that we just haven't let go of, that we're afraid of, that we've just locked up away and don't want to talk about, today, Lord, I pray that your spirit would come all over us and explode with light and power inside of us. We're so thankful for your grace and for your mercy that you didn't ask us to clean up to go take a bath. You said, come as you are, and we are here as we are, followers of you saying, we want you, we want to know you in the way that Mary did. And I believe it's possible. 
And we invite you in Jesus' name, in your name, in the nature of who you are, Jesus, in that name we pray. Amen. I hope that that comes alive in you like it's coming alive in me. I believe that a church full of people with the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God exploding inside of us in our city in front of us is exactly what this country needs, exactly what this town needs. And as we go into the next year, I'll tell you, God's got some good stuff I'll share with you next week. We somehow managed to invest over $400,000 into the global mission this past year. No wonder I was tired, right? <laughs> Look, wow. And I'll explain more next week and, uh, and, and introduce you to some of the people that are part of that. But, but we go into next year, I really just keep feeling like God is, is aiming our sights right here in the community in front of us. We're killing it on the world around us. And the Holy Spirit is going to need each and every one of us to come alive and to move around like the, the Jesus-filled, Spirit-filled people that we are. Amen? Amen. I just said amen in church. All right, you guys go and be blessed. We love you.